185 miles south, a hardcore punk rock podcast. Introducing first, the challenger, fighting out of the hard corner. The only thing he fears is the cabbage salad at Pokies. From San Diego, California, it's the great Don Zini, Don the Grumpire, Diego. And his opponent, fighting out of the core corner. From parts unknown, weight unknown. Reason he didn't pick Minor Threat in the Straight Edge Super 7, unknown. It is the reigning, defending, undisputed 185 Miles South Trivia Champion of the World, Daniel, these questions are too easy, Sant! Alright, and we're going to shoot the first question off to the mighty Don Diego. Now Don... After singing for No Escape, Tim Singer sang for this band who put out an LP on Victory Records titled Fixation on a Coworker. It's not Fixation on a Coworker. <laughs> um, that would be Dead Guy. A point to Donald. All right. Let's go to Dan and uh, going to bring it back to his motherland. How about that? Now, Dan. The cover of the Clash album London, London Calling shows a bass player driving his bass guitar into the stage of the New York Palladium on September 21st, 1979. There is also a man seen in the background. In what century did man invent the coil spring? The 17th. Incorrect. The 15th. But we go to Daniel for your first real question. Daniel, this noun is defined as a thing that is annoying or disappointing. Also, it rhymes with the last name of Joe Strummer. Well, before you gave me the rhyme, I was going to say this noun, uh, badge, but <laughs> it's a bummer. A <laughs> point to the champ. How about that? Okay, Donald, we are coming back to you for your question number two. According to Cox Sparrer, because you're young, A, you're torn between a world of hate and a world of dreams. B, you need that buzz to come alive. C, you missed the last bus home. Or D, all of the above. Uh, D, all of the above. A point to Don. All right. We go back to the champ. No one's missed yet. This is wild. Dan, your second question. True yeah. or false? The Blitz New Age 7-inch came out the same year as Return of the Jedi. Ooh. So I know that Return of the Jedi came out in 1983. So let me think. I, I assume yes. Point to the champ. How about that? All right, round three with no whiffs yet. Don, before starting Rancid, Tim Armstrong and Matt Freeman played in this band with notable songs such as Sound System and Take Warning. Operation Ivy. Come on, these are so easy. <laughs> so are yours. Shut the fuck up. 
Dan, Sid Vicious has writing credit on how many songs on Nevermind the Bullocks? Oh my God. Uh, I mean, the, the, I don't know if you're trying to trick me or not. I'm going to say zero. We go to, Dan, uh, to Don for the potential steal. Don, Sid Vicious has writing credit on how many songs on Nevermind the Bullocks? Uh, one. No points this round. It is two. And the songs are Ooh. Holiday in the Sun and Bodies. All right. We go to Don for round number four. Don, this New York hardcore band's 1983 7-inch features backup vocals by John Joseph. Notable songs include Something Must Be Done and Real Deal. Oh, Antidote. Point to Don. Okay. Dan, we go to you for your number four. Which came first? The debut LP, Violence, Violence by Ceremony, or the Mountain Dew Baja Blast at Taco Bell? It's got to be Baja Blast. Point to the champ. Baja Blast, <laughs> 2004. Ceremony LP, 2006. With uh, 26 songs. What's up, Jeremy? <laughs> All right. <laughs> Hey, voice guy Tony, keep Jeremy backstage before I break his head. <laughs> Love it. Okay. Let's see here. Don, on the original pressing of the Faith Void split LP, which band is on side A, according to the center label? Um, hmm. uh, void. Point to Don. Holy shit. Five for five. Okay, Dan. Yeah, because they're so friggin' easy. You think that one was easy? No. <laughs> That's a 50 50 okay, point. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, Dan, we go to you. What was the first LP released on New Age Records? Oh, LP. Yep. Um, God. Um, Jesus. It's it's either it's got to be either turning point or outspoken. Oh God. Um. Well, turning point. Point it's to always the darkest. Champ. Point to the champ. Hold yes. It Hold it out. All right. We almost had a, another green versus blue mohawk situation on that question. I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you narrowed it down. I know. And I couldn't remember what button the uh the pressure button was. So I was like, oh shit, I hope I hope Dan says something soon. Okay. <laughs> All right, Don. This year, okay, we're we're asking for a year right now. This okay. year at WrestleMania, Hulk Hogan slams under the giant, retains his WWF world title at the Pontiac Silver Dome. Also, Sick of It All releases their debut LP on Revelation Records. What year am I referring to? Debut 7-inch. 1987. Point to Don. Boom, boom. Okay, Dan, you're round number six. This record label released the Hands Tied 7-inch in 1996. EVR. Point to the champ. Coming to it. All right. Second guess myself there. I'm like, was it some Euro label? <laughs> okay, here we go. 
Oh, sorry, I had to read it. I was like, this is confusing because <laughs> I, I got too smart for myself. Hopefully okay. it is confusing because if he gets this, I'm beat. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, okay, well, anyway, in 1995, Steve Fawcett made the first solo Trans-Pacific balloon flight. Also, this band released their CD, Keeping It Real, on We Bite Records. <sighs> Oh my God, $25. Don's favorite band. Right on. <laughs> Fuck, Dan. You're right. I think I did make them too easy. Huh? Yeah. Well, you know what? It's like you just weren't fucking hard either. That's bullshit. Okay. Well, here we go. Dan, in 1987, Revelation put out the Together Compilation 7 Inch. How many bands were featured on it? Oh, Jesus Christ. So there's Warzone. There's, oh, Jesus Christ. <sighs> um, there's Warzone. There's Bold. There's GB. There's. So that wraps it up. What? Wrong button. Oh. <laughs> Wrong button. I'm hunting for him. <laughs> the more you know. Oh, my God. Is that good enough? I think can't so. take his pressure. Come on. <laughs> Dan, final answer. Seven. Point to the champ. Oh my god, I was gonna say eight. <laughs> yeah. All right. And we go to match though. Don beat me. I think just by one, but we got to go to the ref, Bedge, for the final tally. What's up, Ben? Final score, Don, seven, Dan, six. Don wins. Fuck it, Sam. All right. Rematch next week. <laughs> I demand a recount. I demand to know if Don has been roiding in the offseason. Vocal test karaoke. Andy Diehard from Ill Communication and Diehard Youth. What's up, everyone? This week on the pod, we are talking hardcore, helping out. You know him, you love him. He is the best dressed man on the pod. He is Dan Sant. What's up, Dan? What's going on? Don't silence me. I, I, I will never silence you, dude. You know, we, we sound so much smarter just because there's a British accent on the pod. What's up? But to the real intelligence, 
It is Ben Merlis, a.k.a. Ben Edge, a.k.a. Bedge. What's up, Ben? What's going on? I think Dan Sand is a highly intelligent person. Um, even if you don't take into account his his English accent. There, I had to say it. That's true. But you know, the second dre- the second best dressed man on the pod and the second smartest guy on the pod is Positive Christopher. Posy Chris. What's up, Chris? What's happening? What's going on? Hey, Dan. Um... I'm going to guess your Wi-Fi password. Okay. Have it, have you changed it? Like, did you, do you have the original one that's on the uh, router or uh, did you change it to something cute? I've changed it. Okay. But I'm going to guess the original one, dude. Okay. <laughs> Is it this? Uh, no, you forgot the exclamation point at the end. <laughs> I think you really blew that one. Zach, you should have saved that for uh, trivia. True. God damn it, huh? I should have. One more time, though, because it took me a while to clip that. <laughs> well, if you save it for trivia, you would have thrown me under the bus with something like, hey, Roger, or, you know, <laughs> what temperature is it in Oxnard right now? Oh, Dan, what is this actually saying? <laughs> yeah. What temp- <laughs> yeah. What's your opinion on that, Stu? I just think VD rules, dude. Yeah, man, that's true. <laughs> okay, I wanted to talk about some of our favorite places to play on tour. This is just like, you know, shows came back a little while ago, and it's been so exciting to see bands again. And like, uh, the first show I saw back was Dead Heat with uh, Regulate in the Fight. And like, it's just, I don't know, I feel energized by it, right? Like, Regulate coming out and playing from New York, the fight coming out and playing from New York. And like, it makes me like nostalgic for the times that I used to travel and play music. And I, I think about like these places that I really, really like to play on tour. So I wanted to talk about that, like our favorite places to play and see shows and travel to like outside of our hometowns. So uh, Daniel, do you have any standout spots? Um, I'm going to, I'm going to go for a European one uh, to start it. And then, you know, I can list some others too, but when you, or for a while, this guy, Philippe was doing shows in, in Paris and they were on this barge on the uh, Seine just across from um, Notre Dame, which, you know, it's a pretty idyllic spot. But the fucking moshing that would go on this barge that would make it go side to side, like guitar heads would fall off amps. Like it just was the best fucking like, and almost a nod to, you know, the Sex Pistols going down the Thames on the boat. It just was like the best little venue and everybody I talked to that was touring around that time in the early aughts was just also just wild about like playing those shows on, on that little or not little barge. It was a decent barge. And also, you know, I tried to speak to the crowd in the language of the country, at least a little bit for each time, but because I did French at school in England, I knew quite a bit more. And there were these four skinhead girls that were hanging out together that were probably the prettiest girls I've ever seen. And so when I, you know, introduced the band, like, Bonsoir, mes amis de Paris, nous sommes over the dead body, you know, and they were like, trivia, trivia. I was like, yeah. And then, 
And then uh, near the end, I'm like, this one goes out to the Warzone women. And I pointed out at them and they were all like, yeah. And then they went and moshed. It was fucking sick. That's correct. Did you ever play that spot? Dude, legendary venue. Legendary dude too, Philippe. Yeah. Yeah. I have a story about being on a boat, but not playing. One time I went to a work conference in uh, St. Louis and I ended up not even going to the conference. I just went on a bender and uh, gambled <laughs> on a riverboat for three days. But, uh, <laughs> that's all I got. Chris, what was your uh, show on the boat like or on the barge like? Uh, dude, it was sick. Uh, the first time we played there was with The Promise. Um, the show was wild. Like, just like Daniel was describing it, you know, a bunch of like straight edge skinhead dudes just like moshing hard. And dudes and gals moshing hard, uh, boat rocking, lots of stage dives. Um, I actually remember at one point I dove into the crowd, you know, like backwards with my guitar and my guitar, like my, the momentum of my body, you know, kept going like into the crowd and my guitar like stopped cause it hit something and I turn around and this dude, like skinhead dude is holding his head. Like I smashed him in the, in the forehead with my guitar and he just like turns around and walks out and I'm just like, Oh no, I'm so sorry. And then later after the set, uh, this girl taps, maybe one of the girls uh, Dan was talking about, but taps him on the shoulder. I turn around. He's like, she goes, look what you've done to my boyfriend. You turn him to a monster in a French (laughs) accent that I don't even want to try. And he's got this big, huge, giant welt on his forehead. And I'm like, dude, I'm so sorry. And he says, oh, it's cool. Do it to the other one. I look like the devil. (laughs) (laughs) He should have paid his cab fare and he got him dropped off at Notre Dame. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, we brought Quasimoto back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, Dan, what did you say, like in English, that you translated to French? I'll see if I can do it in my bad Spanish. Oh, I said, hello, my friends of Paris. We are over my dead body from California. And then, uh, and then now my French is a little bit shittier, but I I went on to say, uh, we are a straight edge band, but uh, and then I said in in uh, French I said no alcohol, no smoke, no drugs, go. <laughs> yeah, and then went into the f- first song. How typical! Another straight edge guy getting <laughs> a third X. You know, Daniel's like, we don't drink or smoke, but we fuck. What's up? What's up, Warzone women? <laughs> <laughs> I got a story that piggybacks on Daniel's uh, bilingual one. Uh, so one of my venues that I have here is uh, Coney Island in Leipzig. Um, which oh, yeah, it's sick. It's sick. Such an amazing... I'll, I'll come back to it for a second, but The Promise was playing, and Anderson, before the breakdown, goes, Guten Tag! <laughs> legendary that venue though is i mean we'll come to that back dan obviously like i don't want to i'm sure he's got more but uh that is such a legendary venue just like you know if anyone hasn't been to it it's just like apparently it's like this giant like compound that people started squatting at and they were squatting there for so long that they got like the squatters rights for it and like own it legally now um it's just behind like some indoor soccer fields 
just like in the middle of a nondescript part of town and everything, you know. And it feels like it's in the woods because it's like in a like almost like a park, like there's a bunch of trees and it's just like this big anarchist compound, um, you know, a bunch of like anti-fascism graffiti and like there's a big huge skate park outside. Uh, they used to have a half pipe inside, um, but they have a sick venue. The stage is maybe a little bit high, um, you know, if it's not like a crazy show. Uh, but the thing like the chef's kiss is they do, they cook this, they have a chef there that cooks this vegan meal for all the bands that play. And the food is so good. Like. And, and when they were cooking it, so we played there with most precious blood. Mm-hmm. And when they were cooking it, we came down the thing and they, they had this giant cauldron over a campfire, like full medieval style. Mm-hmm. Like it was fucking sick, but, uh, they had most precious blood at the time had the uh, one king down singer singing mm-hmm. and yeah, rob. there was the yeah uh, rob fusco was that mm-hmm. his name right there was this kid that was at the show that was just punishing me non-stop like i couldn't get rid of him he had xed up construction gloves so when he first came up to me i was like oh this dude's sick then he just followed me around asking me the most <laughs> inane questions, just girting his brains out on me. Um, it was really annoying. And so later on at the show, I saw like during Most Precious Blood set, he jumped up on stage and like tried to grab the mic and Rob uh, mushed him like full cartoon style, like mushed him in the face to where the guy went horizontal off the stage and the crowd parted and he just landed on the floor. And I was like, Oh, it couldn't happen to a nicer guy. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> he, he had literally spent like three hours of my life just punishing <laughs> me about everything that no one wants to talk about. Like George. Dan, George. Dan did his uh, name rhyme with, Dan Fedge. (laughs) I was going to say, was his name Damien Abraham? (laughs) Don't be throwing throwing daggers on the pod. No beef. What's up, Damien? We love you. Return Ben's email. (laughs) (laughs) Ben wants to talk to you about 1.5 for three hours straight. (laughs) Just respond to his email, man. While wearing, while wearing X-Tup construction gloves. That's right. Uh, the thing I wanted to say about this venue, though, like like about the food, uh, getting back to that is like, so first time we went there, food was amazing. Second time came back, food was amazing. And then, you know, I played there twice. And then, you know, the next time I played there was with Change, you know, last winter. Uh, first time I'd been there in probably 15 years. And I was so like hyping up the food to everyone, you know, like. <laughs> you know, aside from Ram that had been there, but I'm just like, yo, the food is going to blow you guys away. Like it is so good. And then like, I started thinking like, what if I'm just like playing this up in my head? Like, what if it's just memory or, you know, what if they have a different like chef, you know, kitchen scenario. Um, so I was starting to get a little bit worried as the last show a tour played a sick show there with uh, no warning and uh candy. And the food was so good. It was better than I remembered it. And it was, perfection that rules was it always the same chef or like is the the place just has like their recipes on point yeah i don't i have no idea oh that rules well i'm gonna sound pretty lame being after all that like man i really like virginia beach 
you know, but yeah. I do like yeah. my favorite spots were always Houston and Virginia beach, you know, and Minneapolis, like for shows out of town. Yeah. But for some reason, just like getting to Virginia beach, I think it kind of feels like home. I was talking to Timmy from no justice at that dead heat show because he lives in Oxnard now. And he was saying how much he loves it. And I was like, you know what, dude, I think it's because you spent a fair amount of time in Virginia beach and like Oxnard is very similar. You know, it's like a beach that's not super touristy. It can be a little street sometimes. And like, there's like a big military presence. Like it's very similar. And so like, I kind of just felt like when I was there, Virginia beach, Norfolk, like that whole area, it was just like kind of a strange home away from home. Like it was always just like good vibes. Like, I don't know. I liked it. The shows were always great. You know? Yeah. we We played, um, a club there that had like a bar that did. So, you know, if you're thinking of all four walls of, of the club, I can't remember the name of it, but the bar went like an L shape along one side of like two sides of the, of the building. And when we played there with uh carry on and hope con and um, death threat and, and us, um, Timmy was just running along that bar and doing the craziest dives during carry on like full hands by his side doing spiral like dive bomb missile attacks on the crowd essentially with like his head as the warhead it was fucking wild <laughs> that's um, a hell of a lineup dude the first yeah, time we played that area it was with fields of fire hell of a lineup also <laughs> True. Ben, what do you remember about that show? I think it was Norfolk. The thing I remember about that show is someone maybe from an opening band or someone in the audience said, maybe it was someone from an opening band was, uh, was played something on the guitar and went, huh, Todd Jones style. And me and Graham looked at each other like people out here know like the name Todd Jones. Like he's like a known commodity on the East coast. Like, Whoa. Taking over, dude. That fast right hand. You know what's up. Yep. Yeah. Chris, do you have memories of Virginia Beach area? Yeah. I, um. I want to say we only played there once. Like we played Richmond a ton, but I think we only played Virginia Beach for Virginia Beach once. But it was dope. And I remember for some reason I have a random memory that the floors were like checkered. <laughs> yes, that's that place. I feel like yeah. I played there too. Yeah. That's yeah. You know, bar I'm talking about. I'm wondering, because we never played Richmond, and we played Virginia Beach, I think, four times. That might have been why the shows were so good, is because people came down. I think it's just like an hour away. Yeah. An hour, hour and a half. I was going to piggyback off this, actually, and and Richmond was my other favorite. Well, Richmond and Seattle are my, over my dead bodies, two favorite places um, that weren't in Cali. Uh, The Paradox in Seattle... Uh, we never had a bad show there and Best venue. Seattle w- always welcomed us and went fucking nuts. And I think the last time we played there, remember like during uh, over my dead body, the song uh, Pettibone comes up on stage and just, I think essentially power bombs me. And then Zach <laughs> drunkenly walked over the giant dog pile. Do you remember? <laughs> yeah. Do you remember the Seattle hardcore message board? Like people were talking about after the show, they're like, Oh yeah, that's the, Yeah, they're like, who the fuck was that drunk skinhead in the Motley Crew jacket that was on <laughs> top of the dog pile? <laughs> NWHC.com. Yeah. Or N- NWHardcore.com, I mean. 
was yeah. it? Dan, what was the club like in Richmond that you would have played in the early 2000s? The reason why I ask is because we never played there. So maybe like it was a more legit club with like a bigger cap. And like Virginia Beach, they had smaller places that a band like in control could play. Possibly. I mean, it was a place called originally Twisters and then Alley Cats and then the Nancy Reagan. It went through three different names, but it was always amazing for us because Tommy is from Virginia. So we instantly had uh, a thing. But I remember the very first time we went through, there were all these younger kids that accosted me after the show and were like, what do you mean? It doesn't mean shit till you're 21 and like really like going in on that. And I had to explain what the song actually means. It's not like dissing anyone that's not 21, but it's like stick around and you've earned it. You know, all these young people who talk shit and then just leave. That's what it's about. Um, Anyway, but we always had an amazing show there. We, we generally played with either count me out or um, we played with dead serious and count me out. I think almost every time we played. So it was always fantastic. And I think we played there maybe four to six times and Jesus. every single one was amazing. But how big was the the room? Uh, it could probably fit like 250. Oh, maybe. perfect room. But yeah. still, that's more than the 25 we were drawing. That's the one with the balcony. It's like kind of rectangular shaped and there's a balcony around it. Or is that a different location? I think that's a different one. This was more okay. like the stage was at one end and there was like kind of like a snack bar cafe-ish thing further down. Um, but the dance floor in front of the stage was was nice and sizable for core shows and the stage was perfect diving height. Right. Yeah. And do you remember that spot that we played in Houston called Fitzgerald's? Yeah. That place was rad. And the first time that we played there with you guys, we played upstairs on a big stage and then like a, a different tour. We played downstairs. Like there was an upstairs and a downstairs. They were both right. that Mary Jane's place in Houston. Cause that, yeah, was, that place was awesome. I think we played there when we played with, uh, uh with Bane and the promise was awesome. it Mary Jane's. Yeah, that venue is sick. Actually, the best spot that we played in the Houston area was of Texas. The, yeah, in Houston, Texas. The it was like, God, it was it was a little town called like Watervliet or something. It was like forty five minutes south of Houston, and it's fucked up because like when we were touring, we we were fortunate enough to tour in the time of MapQuest, but like pre GPS and MapQuest was still pretty fucked back then. Oh yeah, and definitely. Yeah, and it was someone else's job to like map quest that show. And like just because like, you know, it was Houston on the itinerary, like we were playing 45 minutes outside in a different town. So they put in like the address with Houston. And we show up at the show and it's totally in the hood. And it's like this fucking uh like little laundromat. And we're like, ah, there's a good chance like this is where we're playing. Like <laughs> we've played worse, you know, than a fucking laundromat somewhere, you know? And it's sure sick. enough, like, what's that? That's a sick venue. Do your laundry yeah. and play. No, but that was the address in Houston. We were supposed to be playing that address in Watervliet, and we oh. were 45 minutes away. So then we drove to the real show. <laughs> oh, almost call over to Watervliet and tell everyone to come meet you at the at the laundromat. I know. Like, come up here, guys. This spot's pretty cool, too. 
you know, and it's funny mentioning that, like, you know, we've played places like that because um, for the people that don't know, my band in control, we toured with Ben's band, Fields of Fire, in the year 2001. And Ben, if you remember, like, the first few shows of that tour were, like, hilarious. You know, I think we were on, like, day six before we ever played on a stage. So, like, the first night we played just up in the hills, like, above Las Vegas, like, just in the middle of nowhere. And then we drove all the way to Denver and we played a junkyard. And then we drove to Kirksville, Missouri and played like a room. Then we drove to St. Louis and played a basement. No, you know, not St. Louis. Not St. Louis. Like, uh, Minneapolis. Minneapolis. Yeah. Yeah. My bad. So like, it's like from the desert to the junkyard, like we'll play that laundromat, dude. Fuck it. At least it's inside. Yeah, for real. And the AC. The best part of the playing that uh, desert sh- generator show at the outside a an abandoned cement factory in Las Vegas is that Stegall also played and they came with fucking tour laminates that they were wearing. Like, yeah, the backstage is over here. <laughs> it's like we're in the <laughs> middle of nowhere. It's no backstage. <laughs> I, I will say in Texas, um, in San Antonio, there was um, a venue that was a generally usually a goth club and uh we we played it and it was a sick venue but there was this you know because it was very goth and industrial on the inside there was all this metal coping all over everything and as i was skipping up to get on stage i tripped and i uh fell with my whole body weight onto my shin and i just ripped open my leg you could see the bone and everything Ooh. and so we played the show and blood was just pouring out of my leg and then because it's so hot in texas the band drops me off at the hospital and then they all go swimming (laughs) 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 just leave me to get all stitched up while they're all having fun and then they eventually come pick me up while i've sat in the waiting room after being stitched up for ages and they're like oh no we couldn't leave it was just too fun sorry you were waiting here a while i'm like you motherfuckers (laughs) yeah you know, actually, we really got along with that band Far From Breaking because, like, yeah. Jason was a kindred spirit at the time um, because he always wanted to swim, too. And that's all we wanted to do. Like, we're on tour. We have no money. Like, let's go swimming somewhere. And I feel like every time we met up with that dude, like, he had a spot. Like, that's oh, we could go here it. and hop a fence. Well, that's who took them. I don't want to say us. That's who took them. Was <laughs> Nate and Jason from Far From Breaking. Dude, he's a legend for always having the swimming spot, dude. I love it. Yeah, I love it. Well, well, here's my pick, Japan. Yeah. And if that's too broad, I guess Tokyo, but really all of Japan. Have, have either any of you guys played in Japan? No, I wish. It's the dream. Chris? Yeah, I, I went there twice, uh, once with Champion and once with IA. And yeah, dude, uh, Tokyo is like next level, but like Japan is amazing, like the entire yeah, there's, I don't know. Just the vibe, like the hardcore, the love for hardcore there is so cool. Yeah, and I think it might extend to all music, although I don't know because I went there with Broken Needle, which is a hardcore band. But like the culture of just shows there are everyone watches every band, like everyone. Like if you walk outside the venue while a band's playing, literally no one will be outside. Not a single person, not even people from other bands. And so that's super cool. And there's there's like next level enthusiasm for bands. And then the other awesome thing is that all venues already come with equipment. So all you have to do is like bring your guitars 
So it's like super easy to play a show. And the reason maybe that we can't we can't have nice things in the United States is people will just break that shit, you know, or steal it. Like that's not going to happen in Japan. You know, there's a greater respect for maybe objects. So every every venue had uh, a Marshall half stack and a Roland jazz chorus. And it was always the two guitarists, Jeff Capra and John Westbrook were like, all right, it's your turn to play through the jazz chorus. I want the Marshall half stack. And then the bass amp was always different. There was always a full drum kit and it was great. And, it, and we took the bullet train to get to all the shows and the bullet train takes like no time at all. Cause it goes like fucking 90 miles an hour. And it, it's like, uh, we had the time of our lives. So that was cool. Hey, you don't steal. Cause you'll miss a pinky dude. The what? They'll chop off your pinky. If you steal, right. <laughs> I think you're thinking of another country or region of the world. Hey, no, I'm not heard that. Yakuza get you. Don't let the Yakuza get you. Yeah. If the clubs are run by Yakuza, then they'll, but, but, uh, we the last show we played was in Tokyo and I wish I I know I could just like text John or Todd right now and ask them the band that played imme- immediately before us I want to say it was DSB but it might not have been DSB but this the singer of the band at one point took w- walked into the audience found a bench on the like against the wall like pried up the wood from the bench, broke off an entire like plank of wood, like destroyed this bench, threw it on top of the audience, got on top of the plank of wood, and then started pretending like he was swimming, like he was going, like he was paddling out to, to catch a wave surfing. <laughs> and it was just like, holy shit. And then it's <laughs> like, all right, now it's your turn to play. It's like, there's no way to follow that. Like this guy was the best like performer. How strong was this guy to rip apart a bench with his bare <laughs> hands, dude? Jesus Christ. And where was the Yakuza? I know. Yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> that was homeboy's bench, dude. There goes your pinky, fool. <laughs> <laughs> but but what, uh, one, of the fu- one of the best, like, live show experiences was actually us playing that show after that band, our last show in Tokyo. And we, like played every song we knew and then john westbrook was like all right follow me and he just started playing like a minor threat cover and then he played a discharge cover like state violence state control or something and it was like these are songs we had never ever played before even in practice and we were just like all right we're playing this song now and we pulled i think we pulled them off pretty well like like just from memory and him showing us the chords really fast. Like, Hey God Marvin. <laughs> hey Chuck, it's your cousin Marvin <laughs> in the background. John Westbrook's going, all right. It's a blues chord in B. <laughs> Try and keep oh, up. Try and keep <laughs> up. That's so funny. I was watching, I l- was watching that movie two days ago and I thought about that. <laughs> you know, that sound you've been looking for. Yeah. <laughs> the bartender is just like, can we fucking go home? stop it like this is terrible no more bad discharge covers dude hurry up and finish because uh my friend from the back needs to come out and get this singer's pinky (laughs) for the bench no he's like yeah i gotta go fix that bench assholes get out of here (laughs) fucking yakuza ben did you have a favorite spot in america that you like to play um 
I always liked playing Gilman and Burnt Ramen. Like the East Bay was always good. Um, I don't know. I don't have like huge like tons. Eh, maybe I can pull some stories out of my ass. But there, those those always seem to have strong strong punk scenes, regardless of the era. You know, like some some areas like kind of dip, depending on if there's like a hometown hero band, and then rise in popularity with like a you know, a a new band, but it seemed like the East Bay was always solid regardless of, you know, what, what specific bands were coming out of that area. Yeah. Yeah, That's still relatively close to home though. Chris, do you have any spots domestically that stand out to you? Yeah. Um, I got a ton, but, uh, I won't go through them all, but Philly always awesome. Like for real, Philly's always had tons of really cool, like, venues like a lot of uh really great west philly row homes over the years like kill time pie lamb fun rama uh, a lot of like where uh robbie red cheeks was doing shows and then of course the church uh in philly is an all-timer but philly's always a great time like kids going off stage dives hard pitting pylons it's just i don't know i love it i love the city i love the scene an air of an air of uh, tension and danger in the air. Yeah, man, it's a lot of the time. Cool. Hey Love Ben, it. do you remember when we played there? Our show was so small that we played behind the stage. I remember playing an enormous. Yeah, I do remember that. It was what is was that the called the rotunda or was that the church? I can't remember, but Probably you know, it was, it was huge, and the stage was there, and we played like the area like behind the stage where like the bands would chill with their equipment. Right, <laughs> sick. Yeah. Woo! The kill um, time, the kill time another, was like a, a storefront that was like kind yeah, of it was, a venue. It was like a row home. Yeah, it was. It, it was, was like hollowed out. It was dope. Yeah. Chris, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously I want to shout out the showcase in Ojai. Like we've talked about Ojai ad nauseum on this podcast, but it truly was a special time and place. Um <laughs> And Showcase is one of my favorite venues, like perfect stage height. Sound was always awesome. Um, the only thing that sucked was the merch area. <laughs> uh, but I want to touch on San Antonio. You guys ever, any of you guys ever play there? We played Did once. Did you just uh-huh. go take a piss while I was describing my poor uh, leg bleeding story of San Antonio Goth Club? Oh, I, th- I thought you said that was a Houston. No, he piggybacked on my Houston with his San Antonio. Got it. I missed the cue, but... All right, let me add something there. We played there twice. Both were insane. Like, the first one was with Combat Kids. Show was packed. Like, kids going crazy. The second time, uh, we pulled up to the venue. We had no idea who we were playing with. Um, we pulled up to the venue, and the band that was loading in had deicide road cases. And we were just like, whoa, this band must have got, like, their gear from deicide. Uh and we were kind of like laughing about that. And then turns out that we actually played with DSI that night. <laughs> yes. Um, but it was like, it was one of those venues where there's two, like it's two rooms in the club. And it's kind of funny because it's the same charge. Like you pay to get into both shows. Right. And, uh, but our show was significantly cheaper. So like, if you go and say, Hey, I'm here to see DSI you pay like $25, but if you're like, oh yeah, I'm here to see Champion and Undying, then you pay $10 and literally could see the same exact show. And uh, awesome. Yeah, like, Undying was was sick and like all the other bands, 
it was kind of wild because like all the other bands were more metalcore bands and then you know the, the actual metal bands uh and there was literally one other band that played an e and played like you know old school hardcore and they opened and we were just kind of like this is probably not going to be our night right like <laughs> we're playing basically this metal fest and dude the show went off it was so wild so that rules San Antonio. yeah we had a day off once um and so we went to see terror play in poughkeepsie with ringworm and it was like that like the chance what's that was that that venue the chance i have no idea because we probably. weren't playing we just went to watch them and uh but it was that same scenario. Like there was a small room and that's where that show was. And the big room twisted sister was playing, but they were in a dispute with their label. So they weren't allowed to use their name and they had to play under the name bent brother. <laughs> bent brother. Sounds like a white power band or something. <laughs> Getting bent brother. All right. <laughs> so, so to kind of go off what you guys are saying, there's this amazing, it's very similar to uh, Coney Island high but it's in Milan and it's a very huge um, squatting campus that's in the middle of Milan that they basically have an unwritten rule with the cops. Like you don't fuck with us and we, we won't, you know, completely revolt. So leave our giant commune be, which there's a giant field of weed and all kinds of shit, but we were playing one of the small little uh, places there and it, it was a sick show but on the big stage that night was public enemy. So I was like telling everyone like, let's hurry up. Let's hurry up. Cause I, I want to, you know, go see a uh, public enemy. Uh, so Rev, did you go see them? Uh, didn't, didn't uh, we basically European shows either go really late or, you know, bands that play before you can play for 50 minutes and you're just like, Oh God, come on. I played that big stage. I mean, I played a big stage in a commune in the middle of Milan. I assume it's the same one in a, in, in a squat. And it was like, there were like five people in a 400 cap room, like, like at pretty late into the night. And I'm like, Oh great. No one's going to come to the show. And it fucking filled up by the time we played. This is a MN18 in 2003. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, where did all these people come from? And there was some sort of fight with like some crust punk and his dog. <laughs> <laughs> were like bite like bit someone there's something some drama that happened but i remember during sound check mike hartsfield who's like mr power chord just started playing these like crazy fucking like hair metal solos like and i was just like holy shit this guy knows how to do like crazy shit on the guitar and i've never never saw him before or since do that just at that one sound check at that show in milan so that place in milan also I was sat in the kind of lobbyish area of what this uh, place is before our show. And there was like educational videos on how to effectively fight the police that they were showing like these three younger kids. And I was just like, this is fucking sick. Like, <laughs> this is like organized anarchy. You know, it's, it's pretty cool. Anyway, sorry, yeah. I don't need to digress, but. No, I think we got some good ones out there. And uh, people let us know in the uh, thread, where do you like to see shows out of town? And maybe we'll uh, do this again because this was fun. Sorry. 
side A versus side B. All right, side A, side B on the Violent Spirit 7-inch titled Fire came out 2021 on the label Rebirth Records is the cassette, and then Young Guns 2 Records is the 7-inch, which I cannot find to save my life. This record rules so hard. Chris, this is your idea. Let's go into it. Side A, side B, Violent Spirit Fire. Dude, I've been looking for seven inch two on uh on Discords or uh, Discogs, and uh, every once in a while I'll see one like like I saw one in uh, Barcelona, and I was like, I wonder if I should just buy this and get it shipped to Gabby, and then I'll pick it up. Uh, this is my this is my favorite seven inch of the year so far. Uh, so uh, I just want to shout out to James from Time and Pressure who got me into this because um, it would have flown under my radar if not for that. Uh, this is a band from Finland. Uh, to me, it sounds like Poison Idea with Maiden riffs, um, which sounds wild and even wilder. Uh, if you go to Spotify and look at like their band's bio, uh, Jonah Falco from Career Suicide and Fucked Up like wrote their bio. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. Um, I'll just read the part where it describes their sound. Um, Let's see. Stylistic peaks of mid eighties, Japanese hardcore and the fluid driving legacy of venom and motorhead all while flexing enough musical know-how to provide feel the darkness esque theatrics alongside intricate Metallica worthy acoustic guitar packet passages. So (laughs) I don't know if that will give anyone that hasn't heard this band an idea of what they sound like, but it's a pretty apt uh, description. I think the first time I heard this, like my initial impression was kind of like, uh, I don't know, this might be a bit much for me, you know, but by the time I got to the end of the fourth song, I was like, no, this rules. Like, I love this and I can't wait to listen to it again. Um, and the second thought I had was like, man, if Ron Brotherhood was alive, I would text him right now and introduce him to what I know would be his favorite new band. Cause he would have loved this shit. So shout out to, dearly departed um but yeah venom motorhead poison idea mix like that's (laughs) like it's created in a lab for his tastes um side a first side b oh this is tough all four of these songs rule equally like there's not a weak track on this um i'm gonna go side b because two things i uh the song fire has like this this touch of like danzig style vocals that just adds like another dimension of it um, that makes it unique and then the song thoughts and prayers like has such a cool outro where it's like don't want your don't need your thoughts and prayers thoughts and prayers and uh yeah i'm going side b the seven inch rules if you haven't heard it check it out yeah everyone check it out it's on spotify so it's easy to listen to but don't be buying the seven inch before i do because it's on my list i'm getting my discogs updates every day waiting for it God damn it. And I, I'm done buying seven inches too, but this is the last one I'm ever going to buy. I promise. No. Uh, <laughs> it's true, dude. I thought that the, the discord box set was going to be the last seven inches I ever bought, but I still got to get this thing. Um, I'm with Chris, this seven inch bangs so hard, which is, I hope someone puts it out on LP form. Um, someone needs to, and it is so good. The epicness of extinction is ill, but I do side with Chris on side B. The reason is they lean more into like the maiden leanings and that, that write up on the uh, Spotify is pretty perfect. Although 
they don't mention the maiden stuff and it's there heavy on side B. It's like right in my sweet spot of exactly. It's like that any sort of hardcore that branches out of like the venom and motorhead. Right. So whether you want to say discharge, whether you want to say death side, whatever with maiden and it's so lead heavy, but tasteful on side B um, the leads on fire is the best thing on the record, I think, but thoughts and prayers again, is there. And I think that's the catchiest song on the record. So I am going side B, although it's just by a hair. Dan, what's your take on this? Well, it, this was my first experience with this band, like for this segment. And I mean, <laughs> it's so great to, I mean, obviously we all have really good reference points and we know that, but <laughs> my notes on it are <laughs> specifically like, Iron Maiden meets Poison Idea. So, like, it, it it is, you know, like, fast-blazing hardcore with these beautiful, like, double-layered melodic metal. Some of them are, like, just beautiful intros, and then the, the song attacks, but then the the guitar then still comes over the top to give you like the Yannick gears flavor (laughs) while, while Dave and Adrian are playing fucking discharge, you know? (laughs) So it, it, it's really interesting. And my first listen to it was, it kind of caught me in the back of the throat where I was like, I don't know if I want my maiden mixing with my punk. Do you know what I mean? Like I, I loved the reference points, but at the first listen, I was like, I don't know. I don't know if I like this. I don't, I, I want these worlds to be separate in my, you know, record collection and ears. But then, you know, three or four listens in, I'm like, oh no, I fuck with this. I like yeah, Dan, it. I feel you a hundred percent. Like when I listened to this out the gate, I was like, okay, this is rad, but it's going to be one of the things that I listened to. And I'm like, okay, that was a novelty and it's a wrap. I want these things to be separate. But yeah. I have listened to this thing so many times. Like it is not burning out. And it's only four songs, you know? Like, so to have that longevity with just four songs and like the maiden stuff isn't cheesy, it's like really good. Like they do it so tastefully and like so well that well, it's they, like go ahead. Yeah, yeah. They give it that that production level that makes it sound punk as fuck. It's almost like Diano era recording style uh, with, with more like power slave ish um, musicality. Do you know what I mean? I think that's a perfect way to put it. Yeah. Because it's like the, the advanced like mid late eight, or excuse me, mid eighties maiden, but totally on like the, the sonic feel of like the early Diano stuff. Yeah, definitely. And um what I really, well, to go side A versus side B, I love the like piano intro um, for the first song, which it it almost, it the, even just that part for Extinction, like that piano intro into the music, I was like almost mad when they cut off how rad that piano part was, you know, but it was so cool. But I'm, I'm with you both. Um, I also like the lyrical, um, thoughts and prayers meaning like 
because yes, we, we've all heard like that. That's all that people are willing to give each other in in this world, just empty gestures. And right. I, I think it's a a fucking rad song and a rad rebuke of that. And um, so I'm going side B also. But yeah, for I think the description of this to the listener who hasn't heard it, they're gonna be like, oh, I have to hear it because it is such a wild matching of styles but uh like like zach and myself and probably chris and probably ben um give it a few listens and see what you think of it after listening to the ep like three or four times yeah ben what's your take on this are you, are you with us side b or are you gonna be the naysayer well first off i didn't even notice until you mentioned it uh, that um the record label is Young Guns 2 Records, which <laughs> makes me wonder that they were just a bigger fan of the movie Young Guns 2 than the first Young Guns movie. And I don't know how I feel about that. I don't know if it's actually a better movie. No, that's you know cool. We, we're going to have to do a Patreon episode of, of movies that we think the sequel is better. Oh, yeah. You know, and that's one. Young Guns 2 is in the conversation. Young Guns 2, I saw. I saw Young Guns 2 in the theater. I did not see Young Guns 1 in the theater, probably because I was, I don't know what years those came out. But anyway, Young Gun. it was cool. I liked it. I might have even seen it before Young Guns 1. I know that's sacrilege. You can't see the movies out of order. You what? <laughs> <laughs> um, but the piano intro on Extinction reminds me of the beginning of Unknown Road by Pennywise. So it's tickling my inner brosif. And then it launches into some raging new wave of British heavy metal bordering on 80s thrash metal with Venom style vocals. Shout out Kronos, shout out Abaddon, shout out Mantis. And then <laughs> the, the guitar solo rips and sounds period correct. Okay, so now we're going straight into Nightmare and we're playing acoustic guitar at a Viking funeral. My apologies for being culturally insensitive if Vikings didn't exist in Finland. Uh, this record's recorded really dirty, like a hardcore punk record, which I guess makes it a crossover record, but I'm not really sure how that works. And then side B opens with the title track and we've got the twin guitar attack with one guitarist playing the same thing, a fifth above the other one, thin Lizzie slash priest slash maiden style. Um, this is the kind of heavy metal I dig. Let's pretend Pan Pantera never existed. I'm with it. Let's erase 1990 to 2020 from history. Sign me up. I've been trying to do that with hardcore music for all these years. So I feel the same way about metal too. Uh, so at this point, Kronos is going off. Uh, and finally, we, we're, at, we're at thoughts and prayers. I can't make out the lyrics too well, but I think he's saying, don't want your thoughts and prayers. So right on. And then there's a bass breakdown going into another fast part. Good psych out there. And then this is the standout track for me, this Thoughts and Prayers song. So I'm giving it to side B. I'd also like to point out that the songs are fairly short for heavy metal. Like the longest song is three minutes, 15 seconds. And I am team short songs all the way. So great EP, side B wins for me. So do we? does that mean we're all in agreement? It's unanimous. And Violent Spirit lit that fire under bed. Did you hear that? What the fuck? <laughs> Wipe out two boys. decades of metal. Jesus. Well, yeah, right on. Yeah, this record rules. Everyone check it out. Violent Spirit. It's called Fire. It is on Spotify or wherever you listen to music. And uh, don't buy that 7-inch before I do. 
Well, Ooh. if anybody needs the seven inch, hit me up. I've got like 11 of them. <laughs> Youngguns2.com. <laughs> <laughs> hey, there's a Nas song when he says Young Guns 1 and 2, huh? Yeah. I don't remember. Uh, well, Ben, we don't expect you to know the history of rap. You only wrote a book. How do you do, fellow kids? What? How do you do, fellow kids? What? How do you do, fellow kids? All right, we're talking newer-ish shit, and we got to talk about that Ukulu record. Came out 2021, Unscrew My Mind LP. Good God, man. You know, the 7 Inches, now I can out myself. I didn't like the 7 Inches a ton because they sounded really ambitious, but it was too short of a chunk. For me, like every time I heard them, I was just like, this is an LP band. Like, this is some teaser shit. I want to hear it in long form because that's when these dudes can get down. And good God, they got down. I've listened to this LP so many times now. I absolutely love it. It is everything I hoped it would be. And it's absolutely great. Chris, what do you think about it? I love it. Uh, This record is so good that it's undeniable and it's, it's hitting like all walks of the hardcore scene. You know, you have like 20 year old kids that love it. You know, I've had people in their fifties hit me up, text me like, yo, have you heard this Akulu band? Like, you know, like all kinds of different walks of uh, ages of eras of like hardcore kids are just loving. It's undeniably good. And it's, it's grabbing a lot of attention and that's, that's, it's hard to do in, in this, you know, the internet era. Um, one, my one complaint, I love this record, like start to finish, but my one complaint, and I'm saying this a little bit tongue in cheek, but like, I loved the seven inches. Um, but this is a band that did a three song, seven inch, a two song, seven inch, and their output was so limited for, you know, a couple of years that this LP was such a highly anticipated release for me. And for, I know a lot of people, so like when it finally arrives and that intro makes you wait another two minutes before anything really happens, it's like two, two minutes of torture. Like, you know, I've been waiting so long for this LP and I get, and you're making me wait another, another two minutes. Uh, that's my only complaint with it. Uh, but I see what they're doing, like with the drum and bass thing, cause they reference it a bunch throughout the record and, and it, you know, it's good songwriting. I just feel like they could have done that in, you know, like 15 seconds, what they did in two and a half minutes, but this rules. Um, I've heard some people say that they thought the single was one of the weaker tracks, but I got to disagree hard on that one. I love that they, um, you know, they bust into a fast beat out of the gate. Uh, Pick your fight is the song. Um, This is a band that kind of has built a reputation around, you know, excelling at like the seekers of truth, inspired mid-tempo riffs and then they put out the single and they're like yo see we could do this fast hardcore thing too right and they do it so killer and then like like the the intro totally reminds me of world peace like how the um from chrome eggs how the drums drum rolls come in it's just like a blazer fast riff one last thing i want to hit before i turn it over uh the song who's in control is so sick and i think this song just goes to show that there's there's more than one way to write a hardcore song like i think a lot of bands take like three riffs and they're like okay here's the riff for the first here's the riff for the chorus here's the riff for the mosh they're all in the same key we can mash them together 
And if we have a good drummer and a vocalist that can make it interesting, it'll work. But like, who's in control? In a few other Kulu songs, I think Sanctuary Depression is is similar, where they write this riff and they write the sickest single riff that you could possibly write until it's like perfection. And what they do with it is like they build the story around the riff and they use like different variations of beats and tempos and and uh, like. <clears throat> Uh, fingering patterns and I think what makes this what that does is you can write a song that's three and a half minutes long and it is still interesting whereas like if you take that other formula of like just mashing three parts together you start to get to like you know the minute 20 and kids are like all right it's time to wrap this up here right um but I love this song who's in control I love this record and yeah Nothing bad to say about it. I yeah, love they, can al- they can almost write a riff and have it be like a chorus, right? Like it's, mm-hmm. it's the hook, you know, and they know how to milk it. And you're right on the song who's in control. That's a perfect example of like settling into a groove, you know, but if they're asking uh, in control is a band that put Narcor back on the map. What's up? <laughs> that um, not to say such a thing. <laughs> <laughs> I had to beat Daniel to the joke. <laughs> you know, what's funny though, is like, it's, the intro to Chris is like he's been handed two packs of like two presents that were just socks before he was allowed to open his at on Christmas morning or something like trying to get through those, <clears throat> open those presents to get to the big one. <laughs> but I, I fucking, I really like this LP, like really like it. Um, I feel like the recording is sick and this is how drums should sound recorded for hardcore you know sounds so good um the intro i felt like has an almost nod to sepultura roots like it's very tribalistic at first before it starts to like unfurl you know and i'm definitely here for that uh but then boom smashing through the wall like a hooded masher or a pencil drawn skinhead comes this amazing New York hardcore. I I swear, like, this album resides in the area of what we would call the 1.5 of the Cro-Mags. <laughs> I feel like <laughs> this LP sounds like it could be the baby of Age of Quarrel and Best Wishes. You know, it's residing in that post-Quarrel, pre-Best Wishes era. Can I jump in on you right there? Because yeah. it's kind of like, a, you know, when I, I, I talked about um, the first Blast LP being like the Black Flag record that we didn't deserve. You know, I kind of feel like this is that. Like, you're right. It's like, it's what you want the follow-up to Age of Coral to be. Yeah, you know, but literally. Still, still nodding to what Best Wishes was, you know? Right. I mean, dude, it's better. Like, oh, this yeah. is like, yeah, yeah it, it's like, it's what I want the sequel to Age of Coral to be. Like, they have to take it further out of the straightforward lane but they are so in the pocket here. Like there is so much that could have gone wrong on this record, right? Like, because a lot of bands, they lean too hard into the reverb. Like when, when bands are rocking the sound, they didn't. It's like, they didn't, they didn't ruin it with that. They could have ranked it by like having the singer, like sing more. He didn't, he stayed in the pocket. His voice stayed fucking perfect. 
Well, my my point on the singer is like he attacks the vocals and the vocal melodies in a very show you no mercy way. Like his attack is so like show you no mercy, and I, I fucking love it. Like it comes off really cool, and in an uncommon in a very uncommon twist from most current hardcore records, you know, hardcore LPs. That is, um, the last three songs of the record pretty much rank up there with my favorites on the LP, which, you know, a lot of the time people front load their LPs a lot these days. I think we're now getting back to a time that's a little bit more like considered, but for a while there, it felt like lots of LPs were very front loaded. Um, and, you know, crossed the third to last song. It, it's so fucking pissed. And he definitely sounds like, uh jj doing show you no mercy on that one um but wake up you know the song wake up i i expected you to be all over this one zach because he has that like flowy like as you would say yolo lyrical part are you listening are you witnessing what they're soliciting they don't care about me it's so cool that part because it's that's when the reverb is cranked up just a little bit. And that like almost singy flowy part on that part really just, it just floats over the music in such a great way. Uh, and then the last song is just straight up leeway worship. <laughs> you know, um, they're like teasing you that the, this semi crossover band, but it's more like NYHC all the way through. And then at the end, they just go, yeah, but we fucking love Born to Expire too. So yeah, we can do that too. What's up? Here you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love it. You're, you're saying like a lot of albums like used to be front loaded, and this one isn't because there are bangers on the end. I would just say that this is the the front loading on this album is the sequencing on the first half of it is absolutely perfect, like all the way through Unscrew My Head, and then it's like three bangers at the end. So it is like. There's late album bangers, but this album is sequenced so perfectly. In fact, the one knock I would say on the record is they have such limited material to re-record a song. Like the Half Alive song is a, a redone song off one of the records, the Seven Inches. But the way it's sequenced into the record is so perfect, you wouldn't have it any other way. Like, yeah. it is brilliant. And I just want to touch on the intro, because you're seeing Sepultura. And it is kind of like that a little bit with like the, the rhythmic of the drums, but you know, I love this thing. And I was scared because Chris, you gave me the tip off. Like there's a long ass intro and I was like, God damn it. Why did I buy the LP? If I'm going to be skipping the intro, you know, but dude, they settle in to my boy. This is some Carlos Santana ass intro shit. And I love it, dude. It is. This is fucking straight up Santana, the first fucking five albums, you know? Scared. I love it. I love it so much. I can't wait for the remix. They got to hit me with a whole side B with some more of the shit. I don't want it to stop. But like the way they come out of it is so ill. And then this album is just sequenced so perfectly. And I Maybe. do agree with Daniel. Like it's sequenced all the way through the, the unscrew my head. And then it's just bang, 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 like three standalone tracks. This thing is so ill. Who's in control? is probably the standout, but again, it's a sequencing thing. Like I love who's in control more because of where it lands in the record. 
You know, it makes it even better. And this is an LP band. I can't believe they knocked this out of the park so fucking hard. Do you think awesome. if they if they do a remix album, they can get Rob Thomas to sing over the intro for you? <laughs> I just want them to do what they do a little longer, dude. I absolutely love the intro. Ben, what's your take on this? I'm I'm getting major best wishes vibes from this LP. Um, an album you may be surprised to find out I'm a fan of. I don't know. But um, I'm also hearing a little bit of strife, too. But that might be because strife was also borrowing from best wishes or they were borrowing from judge who was borrowing from best wishes. Um, but I could be totally wrong about all this, but I don't think I am because I'm almost repeating a lot of the crap you guys have been saying. Uh, but you get the general ballpark idea of, you know, where this Kulu record sits from hearing us blather. I'm also getting a nineties thing, like almost maybe an orange nine millimeter thing from the instrumental sections i'm not sure i haven't listened to orange nine in a long time so that might be off but there's definitely like guitar shredding here i I, the guitarist owns a wah pedal and a delay pedal and has a whammy bar i know (laughs) i know that much and uh shout out to hardcore guitar tone king greg offense um the vocals sort of remind me of like Aaron Bedard meets Rick Rodney doing a John Joseph meets Dwid thing. And then that breakdown in pick your fight sounds like a burn song, like, like, like a specific burn song, but I was too lazy to try to listen to figure out like what the, which burn song it is. I want to say something off the last great C, but I might be off. I mean, definitely not something off that first seven burn seven inch. Um, and then the title track has all those cool drum fills. And then, of course, you've got leeway in the mix, like you guys said. And the music is good. It's got good flow. Tempo changes keep it from dragging. I don't hear a standout track, although sometimes it takes several listens to hear the obvious. Like the first time I ever heard the Sex Pistols album, or the first several times I heard it, I thought Anarchy in the UK was a forgettable track which is like such, which is so incorrect that it makes, it reminds me that like, sometimes you got to listen to something a bunch of times and be like, Oh, obviously, you know, track three on side B is the best song by far, but I I don't hear it yet. Um, And then my one question that I hope one of you knows the answer to is who did the cover art? Because it looks similar to the take offense, the last album they did. And I don't know. I want to know if it's the same person. Do you know? Are you on Discogs? Because I just went away from it to uh, talk the next album we're going to talk. Well, I, I, I actually, I, lo- I looked on Discogs to try to find the answer, and I could not find the answer on Discogs. That's why I'm asking okay. you guys. We'll, we'll come back to it. Remind me. I'll pull out the LP. I have it right here. I, okay. I, w- I would say there's definitely some validity to what Ben says about 90s NYHC uh, sprinkled into it as well. Okay. Like the what would be considered necessarily the the darker period of time for it do you know what i mean not not the madball style not the more old school sounding but the more metal driven nyhc there's a there's a there's a ambiance of that that i can hear also yeah it's usually in the instrumental sections um the slower parts 
but not the you know not the heavy mosh parts the kind of yeah the whatever you'd call that ethereal i don't know also in the vibe man yeah you gotta you gotta kick into the vibes um well i'll dig through this lyric sheet and see but uh killer record yeah you know what's funny though the album or it came out on cash only records it's cash only records number one but they accepted paypal what's up with that (laughs) so all right the next record we're going to talk about is the slant lp came out this year 2021 on iron lung records another ripper and another chris recommendation chris what's your take on this this is one of my favorite LPs of the year. Um, I did a review of this for ineffecthardcore.com. Check it out. Um, but I bring that up because like, while I instantly loved this and, and knew that I loved it, like it took me a while to kind of figure out and decide what I wanted to say about it because like, this is going to sound like a diss, but it's it, bear with me for a second. Like there's not, not really anything new or like, um, you know, mixing up styles or, you know, and so it it was hard for me to kind of wrap my head around like how I would describe someone who's just doing like a straightforward early eighties hardcore band, but like doing it as damn near perfect as you possibly can. Like everything about this record rages, like the drums are banging, the riffs are super sick. The vocals are just gnarly you know there's breaks in the right places um so it's just like it's almost like i think i said in that review that they took like almost like a a mathematician's like approach to the you know taking the formula that we all know is perfect and just like following it as as closely as you can and making it as awesome as you can um without straying from that formula um again that kind of sounds like a diss but it's not like this is so good um i think one of the things that um i personally feel that a lot of bands that do this style of music where they go wrong is like they're they're playing this early 80s style but they're not taking advantage of you know 2021 uh you know, production quality, like modern production quality. And, you know, either by stylistic choice or by budget constraints, like it ends up sounding like it could have been from the eighties. And, and I think that's a big miss. And this band just kind of shows that like, you can have a great sounding record and still sound as raw as, you know, the, the people that originally created this style of music in the eighties. Um, I love it. Uh, standout track is enemy. Uh, just the chorus where she screams enemy uh, multiple times is so sick. And uh, yeah, I love this record. Check it out. Uh, Soul South Korea band. Yeah, it's so good. And talking about the recording and the tones they get, like the album starts with just the guitar going by itself. And it's already, you can tell it's like how they get the perfect guitar tone for this. You know, and then the drumming is so good, which if you're playing fast hardcore, your drummer has to kick ass. And this guy does, and he does like the all the fills that I like. Like I like the the Tom fills, like the da 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 do that la do that la do da 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 do that la do that la do that la do da da da. Like I love that shit. 
He's all over the place. And this thing rips. Plus, if you're playing this fast, like lo-fi hardcore, you know you got to come with the, bin, the mid-tempo bangers. And they do it multiple times on this record. This thing rips. They knock it out of the park for this style, which is like, I'm a, I'm a pretty big poser of this style too. Like, I don't know what to compare it to. It's just fast, raging, hardcore. But I love it. Um, it was a Chris recommendation. I've listened to this record, I don't know, a bunch of times. I ordered the LP. I only got third press. I'm waiting on it. But uh, hey, no hurry, man. This is just one that I want in my collection because it's that good. Ben, what did you think about this one? Well, I want to, I, I, I want to take a stab at pronouncing the album title. Actually, I want Zach to Zach. How do you pronounce this rec- this album title? One. Oh, is that it? It's just one. I don't know. What is it? Uh, oh, I, I don't know how to say it in Korean. I just put it in Google Translate, and it comes up as one house. So it's one house is the name of the album in English, um, but. The music is like a stab. You took a type. <laughs> that was some bullshit. You tried to set me up for that. Like, well, Ben edge and Google translate says that you're wrong. <laughs> hey, just before I forget the, uh, the guy that drew the Akulu cover, uh, it's listed as Chris Wilson, which is also the singer's name. So I think the singer of Akulu drew it, which skills shit. It's That's like, dead, it's like dead heat. One of the guitarists drew all their art. Yeah. That's what I was just going to say. Just like Dead Heat, keeping it all in the family. I love that. And right Ben, on. sorry. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, for the Slant LP, the music is pretty straightforward, early 80s style hardcore, kind of minor th- minor threadish chord progressions, which goes back to what Chris was saying about it sounding like the first year of Discord. Um, I can't, I cannot make out the lyrics, which never really bothered me in my enjoyment of music in general. I can hear just barely enough to know that they are singing it, singing in English, which is very impressive. Um, the the vocals are just buried in the mix. Uh, I'm not really a fan of very high pitched yelling, but the guitarist is pretty good. Um, I'd love to know what life as a hardcore kid or punk in South Korea in 2021 is like. Like, what unique challenges do they face, if any? Um, and I wish I got a better feel for that from listening to this record, but maybe it's just a result of me not being able to make out the words. And they are telling me what being a hardcore kid in South Korea in 2021 is like, so I should, uh, it's got a lyric sheet in it. Oh, it, oh, well, there, you, <laughs> that, there it is. That's the key. Yeah. Or you could just send them an email, you know, like instead of asking theoretical questions. Um, I suppose I could have sent them an email. Sorry about that. (laughs) Oh, good. Dan, what's your take on this? It's a ripper. Um, I will echo what Ben just said. Well, not entirely what Ben just said, but I will echo an element Ben just said that the vocals are buried in the mix and I wish they were just a, a touch higher in the mix. So they would kind of, they weren't, yeah, they're like buried. So I wish they were just a little bit louder in the mix because then it would give the, uh, they would float on top or like smash their way along with the rest of the music instead of, um, you know, listening for it. But that being said, her voice 
is so wicked. It sounds like a black metal witch <laughs> who listens to filth. <laughs> That's a, a way to describe what a voice sounds like. It is shredding. It is, um, yeah, higher in the register, but it is like her vocal cords are bleeding at the end of this recording. Um, I mean, do, do you hear that it sounds a little black medley on the vocals only? Um, to me, it totally does. Well, yeah, uh, because it has the gnarly, like, it's fully like bleeding throat scene, yeah, right? Yeah. And then Absolutely. also it's just a little higher on the register where a lot of like the the black metals like that, right? Because in black metal, they're trying to like, do the opposite of death metal. So death metal is like cookie monster low. Ooh, yeah. ooh, ooh. And then black metal is all. Yeah, exactly. It's sounding even more evil, um, but she just sounds pissed. Um, my two standouts were the song travesty. That's like in the middle of the record and it is such a fucking killer song. And then my, I think my very favorite one, cause it starts out, with that slow and bass part, uh, Violent Minds, and then it just kicks in and it is so hard. Um, this is a really, really great record. I love um, that they're being put out by Iron Lung. Uh, and I think it's uh, a really cool name for a band coming out of Asia, which is almost like a reclamation of a you know, what would in the past be a total horrible term, you know, um, doing that, if if that is the intention. Um, but I, I really, really loved it. And I think I just need to know more about this band. So get right in that email, Ben. Yeah, Ben, <laughs> get that email and keep us updated. We, uh, we'll give an update on a Patreon episode. Everyone, check out the Akulu LP. Check out the Slant LP. There are going to be a couple songs in the uh, playlist for this episode. Remember, you can go to 185milesouth.com and click that playlist link. There is a playlist for every episode. So check these both out there. And uh, buy the records, people. Support Hardcore. What's up? The day before Judge records the seven inch New York crew, Mike Judge is abducted by a UFO. We have to scramble throughout time to choose a singer to replace him on this record. Dan, oh fuck, Chris, who are you choosing? <laughs> False start. <laughs> um, all right. I'm gonna probably piss some people off because I'm gonna mix some errors here. Um, this is going to sound like blasphemy for people, you know, our age, because I'm taking a semi-modern uh, vocalist on a classic record. Um, I, think, I think that's awesome. Like, I think that's what this segment needs a lot, too. Yeah, that's know? the exercise. Like, you can choose a Mind Force guy. That guy's got a perfect voice. All right. Well, Zach just uh, blew my... Just No, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> he's got a sick voice, but it's not him. I So, when I think about judge i mean this is more true for bringing it down um but i'm going to take the same singer for the same reason um but when i think about judge i think about you know this very heavy hard music but also has like a tortured uh sad thoughtful tone 
Um, so I wanted someone who I think writes lyrics that are, that are heavy and has a voice that's strong enough to carry over some of those, um, you know, those tones and then also able to carry over some of those like long drawn out slow parts. Um, so I'm taking have heart era, Pat Flynn. Um, I think he has the gravity, uh, the voice and the intensity to pull it off. Um, you need a time machine because he's probably like six years old when this record came out. But <laughs> I just I think it would sound sick and I think it would still carry that emotional tone that Judge, you know, can carry despite how heavy and hard it is. And um, yeah, I, I think, you know, like I said, it would have been even better probably on bringing it down. But I want to go a bit outside, more outside that the box and picking, you know, another youth crewer. Yeah, I think that, okay, so Flynn works for the straight edge angle, but it's going to be awkward when you sing in New York crew, dude. That's awkward. So, because I was saying the same thing. I was like, okay, if he was bringing it down, that's totally different. Cause then you got to have like, like a heartfelt dude that can like pull off that shit. But this seven inches is pretty angry. So I was like, fuck it. I'm just taking Vogel, right? It's like, I want to see Vogel sing all the fucking judge New York crew songs. It's going to be ill as fuck. Dude, but, I actually thought about taking Vogel too. Yeah. I mean, sonically, it's perfect, right? Yeah. But you're you're just... Mike Judge got swooped the day before. The lyrics are written, dude. You know, you got to go into the studio and, and hold it down on that. And Vogel's not Edge. So I'm going to take the 96 rabies that, uh, you know, cause for alarm split, that first victory LP. He's holding it down. He's saying, toss me a line. He's doing uh, free at last. And I'm plugging in rabies on this seven inch. I think it's ill. His voice would fit perfectly. Uh, he's got that edge stuff going. He can sing New York crew and have it be like fully legitimate. And uh, I think he just slides in perfect, dude. I want to hear rabies sing New York crew. What's up? And what's your take? <laughs> I love th- every time you do <laughs> these things. Well, let me t- fully describe the pick I'm not taking and then take my bonus pick. So I got the two for <laughs> that's called the Zach attack. Yes, it is. <laughs> okay, okay. Let's all go through all our tropes. Okay. So Dan takes <laughs> whatever. <laughs> okay. So, um, who's going to play drums if he goes to up in the UFO Vogel? Oh, I can play. answer that. I th- I've thought about that. Oh, okay. It, he gets, I, he, I, I knew I knew Ben would thought about this entirely in a 360 fashion. Mike yeah. Judge Mike Judge lays down the drums. Porcel lays down the bass and the guitar, just like what happened in real life. And then when they bef- the night before they go back to into the studio to, to do to do vocals to finish the, the record, that's when he Mike Judge is abducted. So he's still playing drums on this record. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I, you know, I'm going to save my pick that I was thinking of for this because when we've been discussing, like, the – I don't want to use my uh, JM pick for this, even though it would sound so sick. I am going to – I'm going to come up with something a little bit different. Obviously, you know, fed up, it it might be uh, challenging lyrically for this singer, but, you know, whatever. 
I'm going Aaron Knuckles from Death Threat. How sick would this seven inch sound like in an alternate universe with Aaron Knuckles' three different voices that he does, like riding over these songs? Um, Warriors would sound amazing, the cover. Um, I, I think, I just think it would be so fucking ill. New York crew, oh my God. You know, going between his like three different like cadences and and sounds that he he does on his voice. I just I think I want to live in a alternate reality where I could hear this and then come back to the reality and enjoy New York Crew for what it is. But I want to hear the Aaron Knuckles sang New York Crew seven inch. I love it, Ben. What's your take? I had a few names in mind, and then I thought. Just like you thought, Zach, it's got to be someone from New York because this person is singing the song New York Crew. Then I had someone else in mind, but I realized this person had to be hanging out in 1982 because they're singing that lyric as well. So that really narrowed it down to maybe a dozen people tops who fit the parameter and have a good voice. The closest thing sonically to Mike Judge's voice would be Kevin Crowley of The Abused but I wanted it to be someone who was still very active in the 88 scene because the vibe of the record is that we're trying to keep this thing alive. And on top of that, the singer has to be straight edge because of there's songs like fed up. So that really narrows it down to Richie Birkenhead for me. It would sound totally different. It would be way more singy but it would also be pissed off and it would sound awesome. And the dudes from New York was around in 82 was still around in 88 with underdog and was even in the same scene. So they'd actually have the guy's phone number. So this could have actually happened. <laughs> and the phone number part is the essential. It's, it's also keep. <laughs> it is shit, dude. I love it. it. It's also keeping the lineup. 100% people who played in youth of today. Yo, Richie. This is Porcel. Um, Mike got abducted by aliens. Get down to the studio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, Mike Chuck, yeah, well, you're in the studio. Where is he? Oh, he got abducted by UFOs. Word. He got abducted <laughs> by the French war zone women. Oh, la, la. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Chris, wrap this up. <laughs> I was just... <laughs> I got nothing. <laughs> All right. Those are our takes. Let us know who you would choose to sing on Judge New York Crew. What's up? You know, son, you, you're not a kid anymore. Oh, no. I go to shows. Dad, I already know all this stuff. Well, they don't teach you about everything. At shows. Okay, Mr. Smarty Bands. So just listen. When boys and girls get a little older, they start getting... Interested in punk and hardcore subgenres. Starter kit. All right, we're going to do a starter kit. We're taking it. Daniel, you got to go to the motherland, huh? We're doing it on Oi. What's up? Oi. Um, so for those that don't know, a starter kit is what we, what we put together or we kind of try and do a little educational fun corner on of doing things that if you were got your little cousin and you were like, this is, this is your go-to to start to listen to a genre or a subgenre of punk or hardcore. So this one, we're going to do Oi. And um, the thing about Oi is it's 
you know, we'll just start from the beginning. Oi is a, a subgenre of British punk that is primarily dealing with working class topics um, and working class life topics such as problems with the police, football, football violence, um, lots of um, stuff about joblessness and no way out, you know, very similar to punk, but with so much more of a, a working class thing. And the funny thing is, Oi didn't necessarily come specifically out of punk. It also, like its roots are definitely in pub rock and glam rock as well. Um, a lot of the tunefulness that you get with Oi is also attributed to uh, football chants on the terraces. Like uh, a lot of the choruses and things that you hear in Oi songs are very much derived from going to football live and in person and the songs that are derived on the terraces that are songs to support your team definitely make their way into the sound of Oi. And um, also touching on that pub rock stuff, like bands like Dr. Feelgood and then in glam, like bands like Slade, because Slade were an original skinhead band before they, you know, put on the 10 foot platforms and glitter flares, they were actually skinheads on their first record. So um, it's funny because, you know, the first wave of skinheads came out of West Indian culture. This second wave of skinhead culture in England comes out of oi and punk where it is not necessarily, I mean, some skinheads would probably listen to reggae and oi, but a lot of this is like the aggression of Oi and the working class nature of going to football and going out on the lash and like all of that. And for those that don't know, Oi means like in England, Oi is like to get someone's attention like Hay would be to an extent in America. So like <laughs> it, people would always make fun of me because when I had Stella, my old dog, like that was one of the words that, and she was getting into um, all kinds of stuff like that she shouldn't have been. I'd be like, oi. And, <laughs> you know, my friends who didn't necessarily know the, that it is, that's what it means is like, hey, they would think, oh, you're so oi. Like you're trying to, <laughs> you know, talk to your dog like that, but that's not the case. Anyway, when we go to the starter kit, we're going to go with, some bands that are essentials and are really um, the starter gate for um, what somebody would want to probably listen to and it would cap capture their attention and give them a little bit of a wider look of what the genre is. And then you can get into the weeds and go into all of the oi comps and, and whatnot. And, uh, since I just touched on Oi comps, I do want to say that the genre Oi was named by sounds. Um, so basically in England, there's, there was the enemy, the melody maker and sounds sounds was around a lot more in the sixties and seventies and early eighties. There was a writer for sounds called Gary Bushell who coined this genre of working class punk um oi he called it that he was also an east end london 
person who, you know, really recognized this. And he put together the first four boy comps that are, you know, essential listening. Um, but the very first one being strength through oi. So that uh, writer's name was Gary Bushell. And he then went on to be like, in my youth, uh, a TV music critic and he would always be on TV. So I knew him through that before I got into punk and then went back and found all this out. Right. Uh, so Daniel, same, same like with doing, Ben did one on early DC. It's like, you could just say, check out Flex Your Head. Here you go. You could say strength through oi, here you go. But you're going to break out a handful of bands that like if you're dabbling in the genre the first time, this is where you start. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So that being said, the first band I'm going to mention, they have that pub rock starting point, but I'm going to reference them when they're fully somewhat solidified oi band instead of that pub rock glam rock starting point, which is Coxborough. So Coxborough had early stuff in the late, late seventies, basically quite similarly around the same time as the sex pistols. And they had songs like Sunday stripper and things like that. But I am going to uh, give you two songs off of what I might regard as the greatest oi record. It's, I mean, I can't I can't pin it down on being just one, but their LP Shock Troops is absolutely essential listening for anyone getting into Oi. And the two songs I'm gonna offer up off of this for someone to listen to on their starter kit would be Riot Squad, which is this amazing story of a former punk and lad from the neighborhood who then joins the police and ends up being a dickhead in the neighborhood, beating up the people and then ends up getting kicked out and no one wants him around. So it's an amazing song lyrically, but it is so tuneful and so amazing. It starts with the police siren and then take them all, which is an amazing song about uh, major labels coming into punk and trying to sweet talk all these, you know, working class people and, just to exploit them. And that's one thing about things that were happening around the same time, OI and UKA too. They were very dubious of the major labels because they saw, you know, yeah, the Clash hit big, the Damned hit big, and uh, Sex Pills hit big. But there were so many other bands that basically were cannibalized by the major label system and just kind of thrown out on their ear, like another early oi band being Slaughter and the Dogs. They suffered from that for sure from Decca Records. Um, Then I'm going to go a little bit back in time, back to that Clash era, and then go with probably the godfathers of this scene because they were regarded as a punk band at the time, but they really are the, the, the backbone of what Oi is uh, the working class punk movement. And that is Sham 69. So Sham 69 were, you know, a punk band that played alongside the clash uh, often played alongside a lot of the um, traditional uh, punk bands of the time, but they did have that very football, you know, chant culture in their songs. And um, the two songs I'm going to offer up on the 
starter kit from them. Uh, I mean, can you guess? I'm sure you can. But I can guess. Them. I can guess. Go for it. If the kids are united and Borstal break out. You are correct. Woo. Yeah. I mean, you've got to, right? Like, if you're introducing them to that. I mean, hey, little rich boy, angels with dirty faces, um, questions and answers, Hersham boys, they could all really be on there. But, you know, you've got to put those two when you're, when you're presenting a starter kit to a young kid and be like, no, this is going to be a genre you are going to want to dive headfirst into. All right, next, we're going to go up north and we're going to go to Blitz. Now, this is a band that has a little bit of a different sound. To the, I mean, it's still working class punk. It's oi. It's, you know, amazing. But there's a little bit more musicality, I would say, in Blitz, um, especially in their transitional period. Later on, they became a full-on um, proto-post-punk band. Um, but I'm more focusing on uh, the early, really oi sounded stuff to the to the song that would probably be their transitional song. So the two songs I'm going to go from Blitz, uh, Someone's Gonna Die, um, and it even says oi in it for everyone, <laughs> and New Age. New Age might be, I mean, if I if I'm con- if I'm putting together a song of my ten favorite songs on Earth. I think New Age is on there. Um, you know, I think that's a hot take for a starter kit, dude. Having New Age on it, yeah. I mean, it, I think it's one of the greatest songs in the history of music. But I think for starter kit, oi, it's it's like a transitional song. Yeah, but I don't for the simple fact that it is what this genre is when it's synthesized to perfection. Because it's still about the street. It's still about the kids. You know. It's just exactly what this genre is, but it is done with just the perfection of catchiness. Next, I'm going to go to the band that, seriously, I would say captures this genre when you actually just think what this genre is. This is the band that sounds like it more than anyone, is Cockney Rejects. Now, this is apparently what Gary Bushell named the genre Oi for because uh, Stinky, the singer, does this garbled Oi on one of their early songs, and and I think that's how the genre was coined. So um, for the Cockney Rejects, I'm going to put Badman, which has maybe one of the best guitar riffs ever as a a really catchy, catchy riff. Um, And then... I've obviously got to choose this classic song instead of war on the terraces, which I was considering because I wanted to really bring the football thing in there, but I'm going with oi, 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 of course, <laughs> you know, and then, so when you, you know, I like to do five bands for the starter kits I've done. And now when we get near to the end, it really could be choosing one out of maybe like five or six bands. Like it could, I could, or I should, you know, possibly have all of them on there, but I can't. So I can't have the business. I can't have um, 
Jesus Christ, sorry. I, I totally just spit on my monitor. <laughs> <laughs> um, I can't have the last resort on there because I wanted to bring in this band because what happens with Oi as it, as it goes on, um, it starts out very working class and almost socialist, like a lot of the the topics, but then because of the climate in England at the time, it starts to, you know, be taken in a, in a not so great direction to an extent. And I wanted to have a really uh, band that stayed with that socialist um, approach. And so I'm going with, Oh, I really could have had the foreskins on here as well too. So, uh, but I'm not, I'm going with Angelic Upstarts. They're a band from Newcastle, uh, up in the Northeast, and very, very politically driven. Uh, Their song, The Myrtle of Little Towers, is regarded as an absolute punk classic because it's talking about um, basically the horror of the police to uh, the youth and especially the black youth. Um, But the two songs I'm going to put on this starter kit just to wrap it up is I'm an upstart, which is one of the catchiest Oi and punk songs you'll ever hear. And then of course the absolute classic police oppression. Um, This genre to me is so important. Um, I think it's some of the catchiest music ever. You know, you could put a lot of these songs up against, you know, produced in a lab pop songs for catchiness and hooks and they'll, they'll stand up right next to them. And I think a ton of that comes from the tunefulness of, of what is developed on the football terrace um, of like singing these songs, but with just an army of people singing them. And that's how the backups and the choruses are developed on this genre. So, perfectly that make it so catchy and make us all like fall in love with it. What do you guys think? Good choices. I wrote down, I typed out all the bands I like that are Oi, which are like only six bands. Cause I don't really like Oi, but I do like these six bands. I mean, if you only like six bands that belong to a genre, you can't say you like the genre. Do you agree with that? Well, it, I don't it, know. I mean, it, I like, <laughs> that's more than I can name in black metal. And I really like dark throne. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I would say if you, if you basically like what would be considered maybe the Mount Rushmore or the founding fathers of a genre, you probably like the genre. Or you're just, so, you're just so picky that you only like the a plus tier of the genre. Yeah, and I think, think that's, you think everything else is watering it down. Kind of. Yeah. Maybe, that's kind of, if you're in love with like Rev era straight edge hardcore, you could like 10 bands or less. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I know there are people who are like, yeah, I only like youth of today, Gorilla biscuits and like three other bands. And it's like, eh, well then you, you're not, you, you're not really into youth crew. You're in a hardcore, this greater thing called hardcore. And then you like these, you know, handful of youth crew bands because they're so they're like the cream of the crop undeniable you know, pick of the litter bands of this, you know, micro genre. And but maybe right. even, if, even if you love that micro genre, right. It, you're definitely tearing it too. There's 
you know, first tier, second tier, third tier, like in your brain already, like categorizing, like, no, this is the cream of the crop. And I do like the silver medals, bronze medals. It gets a little bit shaky, but I still have all the records. And then the people who didn't make the podium, you're not fucking with at all. Yeah. And so of the bands I wrote down before you started talking, four out of the five of them are bands that you picked. So I feel like I'm, I, I, I have a good ear for what is considered the top tier. I never could get in. Huh? Who's the fifth? Oh, well, Angelic Upstarts was the one I didn't have. And I like that song, Women in Disguise or Woman in Disguise, which doesn't really, it's sort of like their next period of like more melodic sounding music. It's not really their oyish sounding. It's still considered an oy, oy song. I mean, I, I think their f- whole first era is, is oyish until they break up, you know? Yeah. And, and the other, the two that I have, that I don't even know, maybe they're considered proto oy or whatever, but Menace and Slaughter and the Dogs, and you mentioned Slaughter and the Dogs, um, both really good bands. Yeah, yeah I, on the rock and roll side, you know. That, yeah. that, well, I think the first Slaughter and the Dogs LP, the Do It Dog Style, is like one of my favorite records ever. And, and it, got the, it got the Tang treatment, dude. They updated <laughs> that uh, album cover just for you, Dan. Yeah, they squished it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it was already a horrible record cover. So, <laughs> yeah, but it um, way better when it's on when they fixed it in DOS. <laughs> a, a, a few things, a few, uh, just a tiny few things I want to talk about is Blitz, uh, Voice of a Generation, as far as OI, front to back LPs go, would be absolutely hands down my favorite OI LP. And then Cox Bar put out an album on Decca records in 1978 that only came out in Spain. And now you can get it as like the Decca years or whatever. Yeah. Now re-released by uh, Pirates Press, didn't it? It sounds about right. But that, that record, I actually like more than the shock troops, which is considered their all time classic, which is the one they put out in like maybe 83 after they got back together. And, and, and the first Cox bar album has this song chip on my shoulder or yeah. is it chip on your shoulders. See, I'm such a fucking poser. But anyway, that song's really good. And and then um Sham 69 Barstool, Barstool Breakout, it, like just when the guitar starts, it's like so perfect sounding. It's like, God, this is just like this is punk rock. Like, this is the way it should sound. <laughs> it's just like this very almost like compressed like the drums and the guitar just the way it sounds together it's like it's not like a huge perfect like giant production but for punk music that's like as good as it can possibly sound so that's my those are my oi endorsements and of course the song oi 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 is great (laughs) yeah chris you're gonna jump in on this yeah, I was just gonna say I, I I was looking forward to hearing Daniel's take on this because I do I do like a lot of oi, um, but I'm not like I would not call myself like a historian or enthusiast. I'm a very casual fan of uh, you know quite a few oi bands, and and I think Daniel knocked it out of the park with uh, you know with those takes as well as you know some of the context and, and lyrical matter. I thought it was a fun listen. Well, the, it's a it's a subgenre that is rubbing elbows with several other subgenres, right? So when Ben is like, I only like six oi bands, it's like, well, a lot of those bands, they sound pretty similar to 
just early UK punk as well, right? Daniel, how how would one break out like what is just UK punk from Oi, or is it more just an aesthetic? Um, I think I think there's an aesthetic, but I also think that what I touched on or what I tried to touch on, and hopefully it came across as much, is a lot of the formation of what makes these choruses and everything so great is really rooted in following football. Um, a lot of that is like the kids are united. That's essentially just a football chant, <laughs> you know, if the kids are united, you know, it, it's just ripped right out of the terraces, like straight up. Um, also, you know, what happens when we are able to look back on something and realize that all of these bands that were grouped together, they were probably grouped together because of the influence, but also the labels that were willing to put them out, like grouped a lot of these together. Cause menace. Now, when we look back, we regard as an oi band because they were on, a lot of the oi comps but they definitely like ben alluded to is that they were rooted a lot more in the you know the pub rock ish sound which was a lot more like a rock and roll punk thing with catchy choruses as well but the fact that oi is so working class is what really brings a lot of this together because a lot of a lot of what punk is now is in a post oi thing so when we are referencing like a lot of working class life it's being touched on because of this genre that came ahead also with you know the anarcho punk as well as the uk82 so a lot of all of that stuff that was talking about political problems and then on this side of the atlantic like dead kennedys etc so when we look back at it i feel like a lot of it is going to be regarded as oi because active skinheads were in a lot of these bands and because of the the putting them all on the same labels or like playing the same kind of shows like that becomes a scene unto itself when you look back on something historically but i think there is something in the sound that makes it exactly what it is and that's the formation of these bands being by um working class kids that leaned towards the skinhead lifestyle and the soccer chance yeah yeah okay right on i think this playlist is awesome i can't wait to hear daniel do uh uk anarcho um this playlist is perfect i'm going to add three songs to it and because we got to put business the real enemy we got to do last resort violence on our minds and Daniel, we got to do Bliss Races of the Night. What's up? You know? Well, I, I prefer the IC version. Uh, I don't think it's on Spotify, so and, <laughs> and we're very inauthentic. So, But yeah, I'm going to tack those three on the end. This is, I've been waiting for this one for a while, and these starter kits, like, I don't know, Dan, maybe you could do all the shit off the dome, but it would take me a while to do research to, because I know we're just saying this is a starter kit. This is like a good way to put your feet in, but good God. I mean, you are representing a genre. This is a great timeless genre. And I, I think you really nailed it. And, so and one thing that should be noted is that sham 69 were a huge influence on American hardcore music. And the whole idea of having the entire 
audience sing along to the choruses. Yeah. And Ian Mackay specifically says Sham 69 was a big influence on Teen Idols a Minor Threat. And obviously, Seven Seconds cover if the kids are united. And yeah. a and lot the, of Ch- Chicago bands too. Yeah. And Negative Approach covers uh, them to this day. Yep. Yeah. And and listen to nothing if that's not influenced, you know, to an extent by some of this early OI stuff as well, just the the, the sound of the the bass. Um for just a couple extra little fun facts, um like Coxbara, people have probably always thought, like, what is that name all about? You know? Um, so like in Cockney rhyming slang or you know. In the East End of London, the the slang that they would talk about, like Cox Sparrow, used to be a way of saying like, "All right, fella," like Cox Sparrow. But in the North, we would say like Cocker, like "All right, Cocker," and so it's two different things. But then the Sparrow becomes Sparrow, and I I remember introducing this band to someone, and they thought like literally the name meant like two dudes like slapping their dicks against each other in a fight. Yeah. Sword fight. What's up? <laughs> yeah. Um, so <laughs> that was always something that, you know, I thought maybe that would be a little fun fact to add on. Um, but th- this starter kit is going to be great if you've never listened to it, but also those um, early oi comps, like we said, you know, flex your head for DC, those first four oi comps, Fill your boots on those because, yeah, amazing. Yeah, and also uh, Sham 69, fun fact, Jim Percy said, let's just 68 and I'll owe you one. (laughs) (laughs) Sham 69, referencing the original skinhead period of 1969. Also, Hersham, the part of London they're from, that becomes Sham. So Sham 69, another little fun fact for you. Didn't know that. Daniel, tell us the truth. What's up? (laughs) There you go. (laughs) 